Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. We're going to start with just one verse today in the Gospel of John. Verse 29, notice this. This is uh, John the Baptist when he sees Jesus. It says this. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice John speaking prophetically. John was a prophet. John says about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Behold the Lamb. Now, I know this is Easter Sunday, so some of you feel prim and proper, but in this type of church, the church that we go to, we respond. Because right. uh, last time I checked, you get more when you respond more. So, so I'm going to need you to help me. Don't act all stiff just because there's a few new people here. We respond because you get more out of the message when you respond. And I'm going to preach because, like I said, I rose from the dead <laughs> from these allergy symptoms. And so... If I'm here to preach, then, then we can respond this morning. And today, when we're talking about the resurrection, of any day that you can respond, it could and should be today. Now, when we're celebrating the resurrection today, it's important to know that why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he do what he did? What did he accomplish by that? Because if we're just celebrating someone who rose from the dead, so what? Good for them, but what about me? That has nothing to do with me. Someone else rose from the dead a long time ago. That's great, but that has nothing to do with my life. Now, the thing is that when Jesus rose from the dead, it did have significance. His death did have significance. And that's the question that people have been trying to answer for a long, long time. And so today we're going to talk about what did Jesus' death and resurrection do? What did it actually do? Because that's important for us to know. That's a massive question, I realize, and there's no way to fully answer it in one service. But scholars and writers and preachers and people have been trying to answer that question for thousands of years. What did the death and resurrection of Jesus do? Did he just die a martyr's death, and did he just resurrect? And that was a cool thing he did. That was like a trick he played on everybody. No, what did Jesus really do? Now, we're going to teach to you a few things before we get into the real part of this message and preach, if that's okay. So we realize that if we could have one word that sums up the death of Jesus and what he accomplished is a biblical word called atonement. Atonement. And so Jesus' death was atonement. Now, the basic definition of atonement means to cover or to make right. When you atone for something, you cover it. You make it right. And in that word atonement is many other words that we preach about, especially on a Good Friday or Easter Sunday, that, that exemplifies and, and it, it captures the word atonement. Now, many of those words we use because there's not just one definition are words like satisfaction, that, that, that God the Father was satisfied with the price that Jesus paid, that Jesus was our substitute, that we didn't have to pay the price that Jesus did. He was our substitute, that Jesus' death was ransom, that, that he paid our ransom, and we were rescued we were redeemed. Another word for atonement is he reconciled us back to God. That we can have faith in his triumph, in his victory over Satan, over sin, over darkness, over death. All of those words uh, describe the word atonement and what Jesus accomplished at his death and resurrection. Are you with me so far? But the death of Jesus was atonement. It covered. It made right. Now, we still use those words today. When somebody does something wrong, people still say they need to atone for their sins. They don't literally mean they need to go to a cross and die for it, but they need to make it right. They need to atone for their sins. They need to cover it over. Even, even the phrase, you know, uh, cover me, or, or I need you to cover for me, which I said a lot in high school. 
implies I'm doing something wrong. Stop acting like you're religious today. You did something wrong too. And if I say cover me, that means I did something wrong and I need you to get my back. And cover, cover it over so it acts like it didn't happen. Like don't tell my parents I went to this movie. <laughs> don't tell my parents I, I went to this party. Don't tell the teacher that I egged the, the building. You know, don't tell what I did. You got to cover me. That's atonement. You got to cover me. And I said that a lot in middle school and high school. Don't get any ideas, boys. Look what the Lord can do. I've been redeemed. Okay, anyways. But we still use these terms because they're biblical terms. Atonement. Atonement means to cover, to make right. You need to atone for your sins. You need to cover for someone, implying you did something wrong and you need to be covered. But we all know that because God put that in us. You don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to know God to know that there is things in your life and my life and in this world that are wrong that need to be made right. You don't need a Bible to know that. You don't need to know Jesus to know that because God put that in every person. It's called a conscience. He put that in each one of us that we know that when something's wrong, it needs to be made right. That's called atonement. When something's broken and needs to be fixed, it's called atonement. When something's hurt, it needs to be healed. That's called atonement. And we all feel that feeling constantly in this broken world we live in that someone needs to make this right. Don't we all feel that? Someone needs to make this right. And usually that means not me. Somebody needs to, but not me. I know this is wrong, but it needs to be right. I know this is broken, but it needs to be fixed. I know this is hurt, but it needs to be healed. That's in every human being's heart. Who put it there? God did. God put it there. Just like even the social justice movements all over the world and in America, they come from a place of how do they know that? How do they know there needs to be justice? How do they know there needs to be that something was wrong that needs to be made right? God put it in them. God put that desire in people that they know there needs to be justice. There needs to be reconciliation. There needs to be peace. There needs to be healing. But they go to the wrong places to try to fix it, to try to cover it, and it never works out. We, we try to atone with many things with our education, with our money, with our relationships, with a substance we take to make us feel better and forget things. That's not peace. We do many things to atone because we know that things need to be made right. Things need to be fixed that are broken. Things need to be healed that are hurt. And someone needs to fix it. But you can't fix it. I'm here to preach good news to you today. You can't fix it. You couldn't fix it. You still can't fix it. The more you try to fix it, the more you mess it up. Kind of like putting furniture together with your husband or wife. Y'all ain't laughing in this place this morning. Especially if it's from Ikea. Which is the Swedish word for Satan. <laughs> to be exact. I like pre-made furniture. Like, just deliver it, and it's already put together. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> you can't fix it by yourself. And you don't have to is the good news today. But that word is called atonement, to cover, to make right. And that's what Jesus' death and resurrection does. It covers us, and it makes us right with God right with each other, right with the world around us. And yes, it is satisfaction, it's substitute, it's ransom, it's rescue, it's reconciliation, it's redemption, it's triumph over darkness. But atonement is making us right. It's covering over all of our sins, all of our mistakes, 
all of our issues and making us right again, right with God, right with each other, and just right. Because right now, we're not right without God. We're broken, we're hurt, we got issues. We all know that. We don't admit it all the time, but we do. And no therapy can fully fix that. And no pill can fully fix that. And no relationship can fully fix that. They can help. But at the end of the day, someone needs to atone. The only person that can do that and is qualified to do that is God himself. But God put that all in us. Now, kind of go a step further this morning. So, in the Bible, when we read about atonement, there's always something attached to it. When, when people atone for their sins, or God needed atonement, or uh, things need to be covered over, or made right, or healed, or restored, or there to be triumph over darkness and, and death and Satan, they're always in atonement had to be a sacrifice. And that sacrifice needed blood. Now, this is the part of the message where modern people bail out because they think they're beyond this because we're more sophisticated than that, Pastor. We don't, we don't want to talk about blood in church. You're going to turn people off. We don't want to talk about sacrifices in church. You might freak people out. But, but the Bible talks about blood, and atonement is always attached to the shedding of blood. Now, look at this verse in Leviticus 17, 11. It says, For the life of the body is in its blood. And I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you. Notice what it says in the New Living, making you right with the Lord. In the, in the New King James, it says atonement. Atonement is making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Notice that. The life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to make you right, to atone. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So in the Bible, when we read about sin, the only satisfactory atonement is a sacrifice and a sacrifice with blood. Now, I know that makes you feel uncomfortable today, but you realize life is in the blood. Now, when they come to a, a, an accident scene, one of the first things they're looking for is their blood. Because if you lose too much blood, it's vital for your body to live because the life is in the blood. And if you lose too much blood, that means that you can't live anymore. That's one of the first things to look at is their blood because life is in the blood. And we know more about blood than we did even back then. And you realize that your blood helps your whole entire body function. And it sends things to your entire body to help it regulate itself and do what it's supposed to do. If your blood's not right, you can't live. If you don't have enough body, blood in your body, you cannot live because there's life in the blood. Now... God said the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, the only acceptable atonement for sin is blood because it represents someone's life. That's the only proper atonement for sin is blood. Now, in your Bible, in Romans, it says that because of sin, the wages of sin is death. That's why there has to be a sacrifice. We know that, that blood is sacred in ancient days, but even in modern days, because it represents life. And sin, the wages of it is death, and you have to exchange a life for death. Now, atonement in the Bible is talked about many, many times, but there's hundreds of times in the Old Testament, and 92 times in the New Testament, it speaks about blood. Because blood is always associated with atonement. And the Bible is a bloody book. If you read it. Now, now some of you feel uncomfortable about this still. But, but don't be uncomfortable with it. Because blood represents the messiness of humanity. 
If you read your Bible, they leave in the good, the bad, the ugly. They leave everything in the Bible. You know why? Because people are messed up. People are sinful and broken and they hurt people and they do things they shouldn't. And the Bible tells the full story. That's why you can trust it. It doesn't gloss over and just act like humanity is a certain way. It's not. No, but the Bible is full of blood because there's a lot of people messing up. And a lot of people making mistakes and the wages of sin is death. So there must be blood to atone for sin. You with me so far? We're getting to a point this morning. And so we see in the Bible that blood must be exchanged for our sin. Our disobedience, our rebellion, our, our choice to, to not align with God, but to align with Satan and sin and darkness. And it causes death. Now I want to say this as a little disclaimer. That was never God's plan for us. That was never God's purpose for us. That was never what God wanted for us. We did it to ourselves, And then God had to come in and help us and save us and set this up for our benefit, not for his. But God never even wanted anything like this to happen. He never wanted us to experience sin. He never wanted us to experience brokenness. He never wanted us to experience life outside the garden. But because of our choices, we have. And look at the mess humanity has got itself into. When we try to do it without God. But there's something that happened because of God's mercy. He set up a sacrificial system to help the people with their sin. Now, let's just start here. Even in the very beginning of the Bible, God was already doing this stuff because of his mercy. When Adam and Eve sinned, they deserved to die. Are you with me today? But instead of them dying, this is what happened. God made a sacrifice for them and killed an animal and didn't kill them. Because for atonement to happen, there needs to be blood and there needs to be a sacrifice. And in the first couple chapters of the Bible, it says that, that God killed an animal and he gave them the, the, the fur from the animal as clothes. So God was the first person who made a sacrifice. And he did that for Adam and Eve to cover their sins. It wasn't anything that he did. He was doing it for their sake. But that's God's mercy. Are you with me today? Because in reality, they deserve death, but God gave them mercy and killed an animal instead and used that blood as atonement. We see this with their children. Even Cain and Abel brought sacrifices Noah brought a sacrifice. Abraham in the Bible, the father of our faith. This is one of the best stories in the Bible. And you got to understand when you're reading the Old Testament, it's a type and a shadow of the New Testament. That means that there's all these pictures in the Old Testament that are not really about the Old Testament. They're about Jesus. And they're pointing to a greater reality in the New Testament that Jesus is going to fulfill. But they're happening in the Old Testament. And Jesus is constantly pointing to what he's going to do in the New Testament through Jesus. And this is one of those stories. The story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Isaac was the promised son. Was his only son. Are you hearing the language of that? And he was called because Isaac had become an idol to Abraham. And God told Isaac and Abraham, I want you to go to this mountain. And Abraham, if you got to, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, he didn't really want him to sacrifice his son, but he wanted to know he had his heart. And so this is what happens with Abraham and Isaac. They go walking up this hill, and they got wood on their back. And, of course, Isaac was probably about the age of Judah. And he's probably thinking, Dad, where's the sacrifice? We're going to this hill, and it's just me and you. And Abraham just kept walking. He just kept walking. And they got to the top of this hill. And, and it says that Abraham, 
he built an altar on the top of that hill and he put the wood down and he put his son down on the wood. And then right then and there, God knew that Abraham, his heart was towards God. And he was willing to give up everything towards God. And God never wanted his son to die. And right then, it says, to the right of him was a ram caught in a thicket. At the exact time, he was about to sacrifice his son. Come on, I'm about to preach this morning. And Abraham looked over. Because he said, I don't have a sacrifice other than my son. And there was a ram that happened to be there at the same time. The same time that Abraham and Isaac was walking up this side. The ram was walking up this side of the mountain. Because what God requires, he also provides. And he knew he couldn't make a sacrifice for himself. So he grabbed the ram and he sacrificed the ram instead of his own son. And it says that Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. That means the Lord will provide. And I want you to know that this morning. With everything that we need from God, don't worry about it. The Lord will provide. And if he needs a sacrifice, the Lord will provide. He doesn't require anything from us that he hasn't already provided. Even when it comes to paying for our own sins. Because we can't do it. Everything God asks us to do, he gives us the power and desire to do it. And Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. But do you realize that was a picture of the, a New Testament reality? It wasn't just about Abraham and Isaac because later on God the Father would put God the Son, his only son, on another hill and on another piece of wood as a sacrifice for us, for our sakes, to make us right, not just temporarily, but once and for all. It's called atonement. You still with me today? But I love seeing Old Testament pictures of New Testament realities. And the rest of the service, I want to share two of them with you. We're talking today once again about behold the lamb. About Jesus being called prophetically the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the two Old Testament stories I want to tell you about that reveal the atonement and what Jesus did for us. The first one is called the Day of Atonement, and the second one is about the Passover. Now, the Day of Atonement and the Passover weren't just stories in the Old Testament. They were stories pointing to Jesus, to what he would do once and for all. Now, remember earlier I said, because of God's mercy, he set in a sacrificial system that People, when they sinned, they didn't have to die. They didn't have to take the consequences. He allowed them to sacrifice an animal to make atonement for their sins. Like I said, we, we see Adam and Eve doing that. We see Noah doing that, Abraham. But when Moses got in charge of God's people, he set it in place, this whole entire sacrificial system. Moses. And this is what happens when Moses goes out of Egypt and takes God's people into the wilderness, he sets up a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was the house of God in the Old Testament. And this is what he did. He put in priest, in a high priest, so that each day when people had a sin or maybe they just wanted to give an offering, they would come to the temple or the tabernacle and they would bring an animal to the priest and he would sacrifice it for their sin. Or sometimes they would just bring it as an offering and they'd sacrifice it for an offering. But there is one major thing that happened every year. And this is a type and a shadow of what Jesus does in the New Testament. It's called the Day of Atonement. Now the Day of Atonement some refer to it as just the day. 
Doesn't that sound ominous? The day. But all of God's people knew about the day. Because once a year, this is what would happen. The high priest, not just a priest, the high priest, which was Aaron, the brother of Moses, would put on all his priestly garments. And he would take two goats. And this is what he would do. He would take two goats. He would take one goat. And it would be called the propitiating sin offering. And he would take that goat. He would kill it. He would go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. And then there would be the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence dwelt. And on the Ark of the Covenant was two angels facing each other. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the broken commandments. Anybody seen Moses or Prince of Egypt or anything? Indiana Jones, I'll throw out anything today. <laughs> Veggie tales, something. But this is what he would do. He would go into the Holy of Holies. The, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the goat. Greatest of all time. I just had to throw that in there. He would, he would take the blood of the goat for all the people. And he would put the blood between the two angels on the Ark of the Covenant. And that place was called the mercy seat. And he would put the blood on the mercy seat. And when he put the blood on the mercy seat, it was symbolic of covering the sins of all the people, the whole nation at one time. And it's interesting to know that under the mercy seat inside the Ark of the Covenant was the broken law. And the blood covered the mercy seat, but the blood covered everything. So you couldn't see the people's brokenness anymore because of the blood. You couldn't see people's sin anymore because of the blood. You couldn't see people's mistakes anymore because of the blood. But that wasn't about the Day of Atonement. That was about what Jesus would do. But then the high priest would take another goat called the scapegoat. Now, we still use these terms today. I just watched a movie the other night, and it, was, it wasn't like an old movie. It was a movie from this past year. And they pulled the term scapegoat three times in the movie. I've been thinking about this message for a while, so I'm like, why is everyone talking about scapegoats in this movie? But we still use this term. And it, it's always symbolic for the person you put the blame on to get out of something. But where do we get the term scapegoat? Because of this, the Day of Atonement. This is what would happen. The high priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat and pronounce the sins of the people. And then he would take the goat to the end of the village, the end of town, and let him loose. And it was symbolic of the sins of the people being taken away. The Day of Atonement. Now, Pastor, how in the world does the Day of Atonement matter to me today in 2022? The Day of Atonement wasn't about the Day of Atonement. It was about Jesus. And in your Bible, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to read in a second, Jesus accomplished this when he went to the cross. And Jesus was the high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. And your Bible says in Hebrews that when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed for you, he went to hell for three days. And after that, he took his blood into heaven as the high priest. In the eternal temple, in the eternal tabernacle, not one made on earth, but one made in heaven. And when he went into the holies of holies where God's presence was, he being the high priest of the new covenant, a perfect one forever, took his own blood and he put his own blood as the high priest on the mercy seat in heaven for us. 
that forever cries mercy for all of us for all time. It's not just a once a year thing. It's not just once a week thing. It's an eternal redemption forever. So the Old Testament story wasn't just about the Day of Atonement. It was about the day that Jesus would go to the cross and do what he said he would do and be the perfect high priest and be the perfect sacrifice with perfect blood on a perfect altar, perfectly done forever. Are you here in this Pentecostal Methodist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I need some help when I'm preaching. See, if you read your Old Testament like that, you won't get bored. Realizing that all these things are pointing to a New Testament reality in Jesus. It actually uses the same term in the New Testament when it says that Jesus is a propitiation of sins. That word propitiation means mercy seat. That that's what Jesus has become for us. Notice, not a judgment seat, a mercy seat. That we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in time of need. Because of what Jesus did for us. It's a mercy seat. And Jesus' blood, it says in the book of Hebrews, it doesn't cry vengeance. It doesn't cry judgment. It doesn't cry that you're bad and horrible and I hate you. It cries mercy for us. It cries grace for us. It cries healing for us. It cries hope for us. It cries, I want to help you for all time, for all eternity because of the blood of Jesus. So the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament was just pointing to the Day of Atonement in the New Testament, which was what happened at the cross in the resurrection. Because no matter how good the Old Testament high priest was, he wasn't perfect. No matter how good the goat was, he wasn't perfect. No matter how good the blood was, it wasn't perfect until Jesus came. Let me read you a few verses in the, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 9, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not with the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think, how much more will the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God? For by the, the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Let's jump to Hebrews 10 if we can in the message. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day. Talking about the old ways. The same old sacrifice year in, year out. Never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sin. And then that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Any, any of you in here today? Because I am. I love that. Jesus was a perfect person and it was the perfect sacrifice to perfect some very imperfect people. And by that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in a purifying process. Isn't that good this morning? The reason I share that story with you is because it's a type and a shadow and a picture of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. Atonement. 
But I want to share one last story with you, and we're going to close with this on atonement. It's the Passover. Brother Daryl, could you come play for a second, and we're going to wrap up today. At the beginning of this message, we shared a verse, and it was from the Apostle John. And he said, speaking of John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, why did he say that? Well, first of all, he was a prophet, so he knew that prophetically. But when he said that, every Jewish person would know exactly what he was talking about. When he said that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he knew what that meant. Their memory immediately went back to the Passover meal in the Old Testament because it's significant. And I want to share with you about the Passover meal because it, it's a portrait, a type and shadow of what Jesus accomplished in his atonement. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, it's, it's no accident that Jesus died during Passover. His death happened the week of Passover, which this week was Passover for the Jewish people. Jesus died at the perfect time for the perfect reason in the perfect timing of God because he is the true Lamb of God. He's not the lamb that they, in the Old Testament and Passover, that protected them. He is the lamb of God, perfect, holy, righteous. And that lamb in the Old Testament was always pointing to the New Testament, Jesus. But let's read it. It's out of Exodus 12. In verse 1, speaking about when the Passover meal was started. It says, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family's too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter the lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, internal organs, must be roasted over the fire. Do not leave any of it until morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. Now listen to this. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Sounds like Easter Sunday. Right? Wear your best. Carry your walking stick. If anybody's got a walking stick, it's scriptural right here. Eat the meal with urgency for this is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12. Notice this. On the night I will pass through the land of Egypt... And strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. In verse 13. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you're staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. <laughs> This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. I know that was a lot to take in, but, but hear me this morning. We're talking about behold the lamb 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus' death was atonement for all of us. And these these pictures or windows into the Old Testament are preaching to us what Jesus accomplished. Now we know in this story, they were celebrating God's goodness and the blood of the Lamb was to be put on their doorpost because God was going to allow judgment to come in to these people because they had been rebellious and they'd been sinful and they'd been wrong. And God was going to allow his judgment to come on all of them. And notice what happens. He said, if you put the blood of the lamb, atonement, on your doorpost representing your household, the judgment that was supposed to come to you will pass over. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, we see Jesus and his disciples right before he was betrayed. They took this same communion meal for Passover. And when they were eating the meal, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. It's not about an old lamb in the Passover. I am the true Passover lamb. This is my body going to be broken for you, just like that lamb was broken in the Passover meal. And then he, he handed them the wine. He said, and this is my blood of the new covenant, just like the blood of the lamb in the Old Testament. The Passover was always pointing to me. The day of atonement was always pointing to me. These sacrifices were always pointing to me. It wasn't just about them. And I'm the true Passover lamb. And this is my body that's going to be broken for you on the cross. And this is my blood that's going to be given for you at the cross. Just like that lamb in the Old Testament was slain. And they put the blood on the doorpost. And God's judgment had to pass over. And that's the same true for us today. When God sees our life, the judgment that we deserve. Now, don't get religious for a second, because some of you act like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know. We've all done stuff wrong. Me included. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve consequences. We all deserve not good things. Even the best of us. And the good news is this, you don't have to pay for it because somebody else already did. And you couldn't pay for it, so somebody who was perfect did. And when we apply the blood to our life, to the doorpost of our lives, by accepting the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the judgment that was coming to us has to pass over. When other people around us are getting consequences and judgment, it passes over us because he sees the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So you don't get judged with everybody else. You don't get the consequences of everybody else. When I see the blood, are you with me today? These are beautiful pictures of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus in the Old Testament. But I, but I love the story because it's not done yet. You thought it was really good, but it's getting better. That when God saw the blood on the doorpost, death had to pass over them. Judgment had to pass over them. But also, at the same time, this was God's way of delivering his people out of the bondage of Egypt. Because Pharaoh didn't pay attention 
to his own son died. And this Passover meal and this night was the thing that made Egypt and Pharaoh give up God's people and let them go. And that's a type and a shadow for us. Because not only does the blood cover us so we don't get judged and we don't have consequences because when I see the blood I pass over but because of the blood Pharaoh in Egypt has to let us go now you're not excited because you don't live in Egypt and you don't have a Pharaoh but you do you want to know their name the devil has been having lordship over humanity since Adam and Eve fell in the garden they were no longer in charge of the, their own lives. It says in the Bible that Satan is the God of this world and he has dominion over us. And all the powers of darkness have dominion over us apart from Jesus' blood. Sin has dominion over us. Darkness has dominion over us. Death has dominion over us. But because of the blood, the devil, sin, darkness, death has to let us Go. It's no longer kept in bondage and slavery anymore because when they see the blood, they got to let us go. And the good news is 2,000 years ago, they had to let us go and they have let us go. For anyone who receives Jesus' sacrifice, the enemy no longer has control over you. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Darkness doesn't have dominion over you. Death doesn't even have dominion over you. Because of the blood. And when Pharaoh saw the blood, in all of Egypt, he said, I got to let him go. This is too much. But that wasn't about Pharaoh in Egypt. That was about us. It was about us. And we are no longer slaves. We're no longer in bondage anymore. The Bible uses language like that. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been ransomed. We've been rescued from the hands of the enemy, which is Satan, sin, death, all the powers of darkness. We've been rescued. We've been bought back out of what Adam sold us into. And not only are we free from the penalty of sin, we're free from the power of it. It no longer has power to control our lives and enslave us anymore because Jesus broke that too at the cross because of the blood. Am I preaching here or is it just me? I don't know if it was the heat coming in or what. I couldn't tell. Are you getting something this morning? But those Old Testament pictures, it wasn't about them. It was pointing to Jesus. What he was going to do, not just for a people group, but for all humanity, for all time. Freeing us from the power and control of sin. And from everything that would try to control us or enslave us. I love this verse, 1 Peter 1, verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. It's beautiful. God didn't buy you back with money because money couldn't buy it. He bought you with the precious, spotless Lamb of God, His Son. It's interesting to know that in the book of Revelation, which is a prophetic book and a poetic book, it refers to Jesus time and time again as the Lamb in the future. Instead of saying Jesus, it says that the Lamb is worthy to receive praise and honor and glory and power. Yeah. 
in Revelation, it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It says at the end of time, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, that there will not need to be a temple because God and the Lamb will be the temple. And there won't need to be the sun because the Lamb will be the light. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But even in the future, Jesus is still known as the Lamb because of the atoning sacrifice he made once and for all for us. Could you bow your heads for a moment here today? I thank you for listening today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let me just ask you this this morning. Nobody looking around. If you say, I I need forgiveness and I need a new start today and I need things to be made right in my life and I know I can't do it. And you want that today. It's as easy as saying a prayer to start that journey today. So if that's anyone this morning, could you just raise your hand? Thank you, Father. I see a few hands. Could we just say this prayer together with them today? Father, I thank you for sending your son to die for me. I receive what you did on the cross for me. Forgive me of all my sins and make me a new person. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. It's just that easy to receive what he's done for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.